Yo, yo, yo. This is Bare Knuckles and Brass Tack, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor customer relationship and occasionally everything in between. I'm George K with the vendor side. And I'm George A, Chief Information Security Officer. All right. And today we're going over sales shenanigans that we've experienced, uh, reflecting on some of the latest news. And we've got some updates uh, for season two. So let's get started. George, any batshit sales things come your way? I have a few. I mean, like my my kind of big one, and I think it's kind of resolved itself. It's it's interesting. Um, we uh, someone that we met with at uh, Black Hat that we had you know a really good interaction with, really keen interest for, um, like their product. You know, pretty excited about engaging with them after the fact. And uh, they went like straight up no comms for like two weeks. Oh, look at that. <laughs> so, Hit the restraint button. <laughs> so, so, so it's weird because, you know, you go to all those events and they swipe your badge and you get flooded with yes. emails for like weeks and months after. Like the wave hits you right yeah. away. Um, but then, you know, we're trying to actually like reach out to these folks. We're trying to figure out what's going on. And then interestingly enough, there was, um, there was like a VP that we had talked to at one point. And he was cool. It was all good. And then, you know, like I, I physically had his card. Mm, like I, cool. I, I saw the guy. We talked to the guy. I said, I'll talk to the guy. It's cool. And then it was just like no comms back. And then you look the guy up on LinkedIn. And then there's just like no record of him having worked Ooh, there. Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm like, I don't know what happened, but I feel like it's probably dramatic and uh yeah so i i think i think it's it's interesting sometimes how these um how these sales cycles work but then also kind of when you're dealing with roster switches right so and there's something to be said about the handoff and i know that you know folks are competing for their commission and that kind of thing but like i, I think it's it's a difficult thing if you're managing mm -hmm. a larger scale organization and then like folks are in and out the door if you have like a big transition like that, as you're in the middle of like a critical kind of interaction and you're trying to develop prospect, like it, if we didn't like the product as much as we did, like I would have easily just like walked away from this thing. I'm like, this seems like a dumpster fire. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want anything to do with it. But the, the end of the day, it's like, but, but the tech is really good. So like, I guess we'll just keep knocking on the door. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like so as a as a client side individual, it was just like a weird position to find oneself in. Where you're just like talking to my procurement lead, I'm like, "Hey, did anyone get back to you?" Because I'm like, I'm trying to send messages on LinkedIn. We were trying different ways, like getting hold of. Like, is this supposed to be the other way around? The fuck is yeah? This? That is real weird. I mean, I guess that's a very unique situation, but it does highlight the need to have your follow up process and operations game on point. Right. So I think there's a lot of effort and there's a lot of pressure going into these events. Marketing and sales teams feel about organizing the logistics, make sure the event goes off. There's so much energy applied to that and the deadlines are super tight. But it's like probably four weeks before you started getting into that phase, you needed to start planning really clean handoff strategies, including contingency planning. <laughs> like if somebody leaves or departs, like, you know, how do all of the conversations get handled? How do all, where do they all go? Where is reassigning? Anyway, that's a, that's a unique, that's yeah. really unique. Um, I'm just getting the classic, Hey, I see you're a business owner. 
nonsense. And I have taken the time to respond with just a one sentence phrase, which is, I am not a business owner. I run a passion project podcast. And that usually puts a stop to it. But I did get a few non-black hat related pitch slap connections like, hey, I see we have some common interests. Love what you're talking about. We connected in the moment. I accept that connection request. It's like, hey, do you have 15 minutes to talk about like, God damn it. Tricked every time. <laughs> so it's like move to other. Never gonna talk to you again. Um yeah, it's just not a good vibe. Yeah. Like, look, man, it's super weird when, you know, there's clearly been no no effort in like, what is this person doing? It's just clearly it's been blasted. Yeah. And the problem now is you can script a lot yes. of this. So it's like you're not even you're not even interacting with anyone. And I think at that point it gets really frustrating because then everything just feels like it's a scam. Like you don't, if I'm getting an automated message from a company, unless I know for a fact that that brand is a real brand, mm -hmm. I'm going to think this is bullshit and like, I'm, I'm not going to get fished. Right. So they might be a legitimate business. Just like, Oh, we can mm -hmm. optimize effort and time. But it's like, really you're, what you're doing is you're boxing yourself out from anyone who's actually paying attention to what they're receiving. Yeah. And I think we're going to explore this. I really want to explore this with a couple of future scheduled guests, which is like, if the mission then is to build relationships and not capture leads and corral them into sales uh, funnels, then like what is the operating rhythm you need to be working at in order to constantly be working and cultivating those relationships? Because, you know, we've talked to uh, Kayla, we're going to talk to some other BDRs, talk to uh, Ben, and they're doing a good job of it. But there's a secret there to how frequently they're doing that, because it, it must require constant relationship management. Otherwise, you do get trapped into the quick fix funnel problem. But I would I would think that that's like fundamentally part of the job, like part of your job. If you're if you're on the dev side, like the biz dev side, it is building and managing relationships. And like, I think, you know, if you're doing well enough, like anything else, they they scale you up and then you get some people under mm -hmm. you as a team and you, you know, break up a little territory. But like, realistically, you should know. And this is like more of a introspective thing and, and you know, uh, reconciling it with your with your company's needs or your quotas. You should know what your capacity is to manage X number of prospects, X number of clients, whatever your mandate is. I know some organizations that are smaller scale, the BD person is also the account manager, which, you know, God, God bless their souls. Like that's... Yeah that's a lot but like there has to kind of be a, like i know i can handle this much and when you're going through the hiring process you know you have to be up front and be like hey this is this is what i can mm -hmm. do this is what i know i can do this is what i'm willing to push myself on and as organizations this is where i think part of the secret quote unquote comes in we have tried as a society as a world as an industry to quantify and automate as much as possible mm -hmm. to maximize performance results the problem is it's still human relationships that are the fundamental factor in closing business yeah. right? for the most part. Yeah. You can't, you can't automate that. Yeah. We're going to have to refocus the metrics. And to be fair, we've also had some friends be pretty upfront about that approach of theirs. And you know, it's all song and dance mm -hmm. and a company's like, I love it. It's different. And they hire them and then they find out, you know, really quick that the culture inside that company is actually very different. And despite what they may have said in the interview, it's, you know, churn, 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 pound the phones, crazy astronomical metrics that are impossible to hit constant pressure. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I'm thinking of actually changing on LinkedIn. It says co-founder and co-host. I think I'm going to strip co-founder out because people are just nailing me for like small biz IT bit bullshit. And I'm like, dude, it's a podcast. Like that that's not like deep investigation. This is not OSINT. This is like two clicks. Like, oh, it's a podcast. They don't take sponsors. It's not a business. Not worth my time. Yeah. Yeah, like that might be a good idea because um, I think like obviously it's a cool thing we're doing and it's like a fun project and we're having fun with it. But um, I don't think we consequentially realize that we're still out in the yes. open market. <laughs> yeah, we're in the, in the, upon as a in the crawl space, uh, as it might be called. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's turn our attention to some cyber news. I know you got some things. I got one thing and then we'll uh, round to home with some updates for the pod. Um, yeah, so my thing, I uh, I found something really cool that actually just uh, got released. Um, what day is it today? Yeah, it got released a couple of days ago. Came out from Sophos. Um, so it's a it's a threat actor TTP um, that's being seen on some of the dark web forums. And what they're doing is they're actually crowdsourcing the development of cybercrime capabilities. Right. So much like we do on the on the blue team or InfoSec side of things, they're they're copying our own methodologies and creating their own. Yeah, I don't want to say cute contests, <laughs> but their own version of contests, um, actually putting out cash prizes, substantial cash prizes. I think the last one, uh, according to this report, was like an eight thousand dollar cash prize um, for members to submit, you know, stories, essays, manuals, scripts and generally ideas for new ways to compromise targets or to take advantage of their profits. Um, you know, there was a 50 page essay put out there on how to invest cryptocurrency and how to sell at the right time to make a profit, which to me just sounded like, you know, it's either like really, really legit inside baseball or usual Twitter joke. Right. Right. But I thought that was funny. Um, a guide on how to create a a fake version of blockchain.com that could be used to steal people's usernames and passwords. That's a legitimately good scam. Yeah. Um, another user submitted an instructional that was, uh, it was disturbingly titled elegantly breed daddies on lavender, explaining how to scam money from people who pay to watch, uh, basically webcam models perform, which yeah, topical. Um, you know, so again, they're, they're they're copying the methodology that's being used by, you know, cybersecurity Mm -hmm. and infosec professionals on the blue team, legitimate side of things. And I think the process for folks listening, it can be compared to some of the contests and bounties of yeah. you know legitimate CS research conferences and events like the Black Hat, DEFCON, Pone Own. Um, unlike you know what blue team researchers do when they find issues and they try to make products and services more secure based on the research you know, or bug bounties or whatever, these criminals are producing the work with complete malicious intent. Um, we're going to include a link for the for the uh, the article that we're talking about, by the way, with the episode. But it's just it's fascinating, George, that you know as we've seen in other realms, and I, and I and I'll compare this to uh, theaters of operation during the war on mm. terror, right? So, you know, we're talking about Afghanistan, and you know, you'd think on the surface, especially early on, you know, the the Taliban, there, you know, folks are fighting against. We have a lot of you know, we're, we're an American Canada uh, podcast here. So sorry to our, our global uh, listeners. But, you know, in that war, people really didn't understand just how good the Taliban's ability to observe, adapt and respond yes. to what they'd see and assess externally from Western forces and actually take advantage of vulnerabilities based on process, based on procedure. And they did this for the entirety that there were operations on the ground there. And I think in the cyber world, 
you know, in cyber war, just as you see in kinetic war, it's the exact yes. same thinking where I think we've underestimated cyber criminals to be able to organize themselves and they form their own communities as well. Like they're still people. And I think, again, we've forgotten the people aspect of of this whole game that we're playing. Absolutely. So I, I find this pretty interesting, man. I don't know. What do you think? No, I think that is fascinating. And I think you're right in terms of underestimation. I've heard it said, you know, cyber criminals are really good at sharing information sharing like oh look at this organization these are the ports they have exposed this is how i took you know they just share ttps <laughs> all the time they share targets and we do not share enough i think there's a lot of legal stuff that gets in the way and people feel really protective and they don't want to talk about things that might be mm. misconfigured or whatever tech debt they have that could be make them vulnerable but there's there's the information sharing, but I think you raise a good point here in terms of organization. And I'm fascinated by this dilemma and how can defense move faster? And I know listeners on the practitioner side are going to say, well, it's obviously harder because we have multiple stakeholders and it's a large organization. I get that. I'm still trying to think through how we evolve kind of like speed to adaptation because you're right. I mean, if they're taking these crowdsourced ideas and they think it's a business right i mean it's easy to say like threat act or whatever but to them it's a livelihood and it's a business and they're just trying to maximize <laughs> revenue um you know i just it's a really fascinating conundrum i think this gets to like the heart of the defense issue well i, I think the issue too you know we're gonna we're gonna get a chance to hopefully hang out with our, our good friend mike mclaughlin there when we're in dc um in october but uh, i think Part of the problem is that businesses themselves still as a whole, as, a, as institutional entities, have to adapt to the digital mm -hmm. world. And I think we still look at the digital world as like a cool platform that we make a bunch of money yeah. on. And it's like dollars and cents and, and items on a line sheet. Instead of thinking of it as a conflict space. <laughs> Instead of thinking of it actually as its own like realm mm -hmm. where it's like if your business is going to be an entity in that realm how you organize and form your organization has to be adaptive to that because we are trying to defend and fight cyber wars both commercially and at the nation state level mm -hmm. using kinetic organizational methodology yeah. and i don't i, I think we're, we're left in the dust yeah. man we're, we're we're fighting an asymmetric war is what i'm saying yeah and we're not doing ourselves any favors right um our Mutual acquaintance Sick Codes had a post earlier this week about how a key vulnerability researcher into AR, ARM ARM chips was basically chased by ARM with cease and desist letters. They tanked four of her research domains, and it's like at this point in time, do we really need to be shutting down security researchers about chips of all things? Like. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we get better at? And I, I don't know how to get through that mindset. Like that's really going to hold us back because, you know, if she's doing it legitimately, you know, somebody else is doing it maliciously. Well, uh, it's, it's pride and it's business reputational shame, right? So the difference is in, in the black hat world, people will pwn each other left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like an expected price of admission in the right. game. In the corporate world, you get a breach and you get that bad publicity and it impacts your revenue for the quarter, which pisses off the shareholders. It's a whole fucking hollabaloo. 
they just have a lot more freedom to actually accept the bumps and the bruises that come with playing in this game than we do as large yeah. scale organizations. And I appreciate the carrot and stick that's needed to make companies take cyber more seriously. I do worry that if we get too much stick, then it doubles down on that stigma. And what we need is less stigma about breaches, right? As you say, it's not a matter of if it's when. And so the more information sharing we have, you know, I had this problem with this hardware or this software install, or we got exploited this way. I mean, that's more helpful. I don't know how to get around that pride problem. Well, here's the thing, and it's, it carries into kind of what I, what we want to get into next. You know, now we're getting into really, really advanced methodology yeah. of duping targets, right? So some of this deep fake stuff when it comes down to social engineering and some of the phishing that can really, you know, you could conceive of an AI deep fake actually faking its way through an entire business yeah. development call which leads into a trust-based discussion. Like it's there, man. Like I'd love to kind of hear your take on that. Yeah, so this is about um, some news that came out this week, but it was actually based on a presentation that was at DEFCON. And it's basically commoditized deepfake technology. And I think people think deepfake, they think 2016, circa 2017, where it's mostly like a faked video of somebody saying something like I've fed it a script and it's saying it. But this is new. This is Mandiant found evidence that there is advertisements for technology where people can lease it either by the minute or by the video. They can also get demos to train models to do deep fakes in real time. So you and I are looking at each other on video right now, but this technology would enable somebody to look and sound like me now in real time. So it's not like this predetermined script. Like I could be on the Zoom call as a person in the company, which is like, I don't even have to like poach the CEO. If you have like an SME who does a lot of speaking and I can train on the voice, like that could be sufficient. And I don't even have to interact maliciously. I could just be there for espionage. I could just be there for, as you said, trust building, information gathering, um, and that's pretty, that's pretty terrifying. Yeah. Like, look, even in the, in the standard course of doing business, NDAs or whatever aside, like, um, all it takes is like a code injection into, you know, whatever hosting platform yep. you're using your zoom or whatever on. And if someone can actually take control of an account, then, you know, they can then implement that kind of software. They can pretend to be someone on that call, knowing the invite mm -hmm. list and, you know, it, it, all it takes, right? You're on these calls, a lot of inside architectural information or problem statement information gets revealed in these conversations, especially when you're deep diving on a, on a technology development or, or solution development deal. Man, just like now the state of risk has to become a whole of company mitigation. It can't just be a policy, cover your ass, check in the box. And I don't think, you know, like, look, we have friends who are in the security awareness training space, mm -hmm. and I think everyone's like favorite thing to roll their eyes at cybersecurity awareness month is coming yeah. up. Um, so <laughs> I'm just like, it's cool, but what this has to become now is people have to also be trained in developing their own intuition when detecting that something isn't right when someone is not actually interacting with them down to the content of the interaction it's not just like i see them and i hear their voice 
I don't know how we get there, but I know that if you're working in the security space long enough, like you could show me probably 10 different text messages random. And I could probably point out with 90 to 95% accuracy, just off looking, which ones are like SMS phishing yep. ones, right? Cause you look at that shit every single day. People have to start developing that skill, even when they're in non-technical roles. How do we get there? Yeah, we have to confront the problem and we have to be clear about it. And we can't just sort of try to fish our own employees and then shame them about it, right? It all comes back to shame. Shame is a very powerful, primordial emotion. And we kind of have to say, like, look, this is the new shit out there. It's terrifying. I could probably fall for it. In the article, the CyberArk researcher gets on a team's meeting as his own CEO. So the CEO gets on a team's call and confronts himself, you know, in a in a deep fake mm-hmm. style. And, you know, that guy had a lot of uh, training data and it was pretty sophisticated. But, yeah, we're going to have to think really hard. And I think the temptation is to match technology for technology. But as you know, somebody who worked in a military context, there are sort of old fashioned tried and true trust verification stuff. There's been passphrase verification over encrypted communication since the Cold War. Like it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to just have passcodes or something that you would speak, you know, in a call or over the phone. Um, This has especially been true of uh, voice fakes, especially ones that have started to target individual people, not just enterprises like they're scammers sending out these horrific phone calls that sound like your child has been kidnapped. And, uh, you know, they've just cloned their voice off of social media. So you need to develop those passphrases or those words as a family. So you have that. I know some people have developed that for uh, their parents if they're senior citizens since seniors get scammed the most. Um, but you, you can think through these things. It's like, don't panic. You know, let's think through some of these things. Um, all right. Well, let's take a break there and we will be right back. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Okay, we're back. We got one more reflection, and then we're going to talk about some podcast updates. So, George, you'd had a back and forth on LinkedIn earlier this week about, with a future guest, about the zero interest rate period and what that may or may not have done to the way buyers are acquiring new tools and what that's left them with and how that impacts the environment today. So, what what is the before and after around the zero interest rate period? Yeah, so I mean, before you know things really kind of hit the fan, we'll say at the start of the year, um, I found that companies could not could not spend enough throwing money at like fancy cybersecurity tools so they can brag about you know acquiring these great technologies and, and implementing them. Right, like it's it's easy to have these partnerships with logos Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it looks great objectively. That's, that's why marketers like you make a ton of money. You do a good job. Um, but I think when money, uh, really started to tighten up and things had to become a lot more scrutinized, you know, then people were seeing similar as we were seeing with like sales organizations that were growing way too far, way too fast. And like their expectations were just not realistic. And so there was massive downturn and, and cuts everywhere. Um, we had a ton of tool sets that were bought by various organizations of all sizes, and they didn't have the personnel or the expertise or the time to properly implement these mm-hmm. tools. 
So if you're if you're running things and, and from a practitioner standpoint, this is like a business architecture issue. How you're actually building redundancy within your tool sets and how you're actually figuring out your ROI for those tools. That has to be a very formulatic and structured process. And it's got to be like at the procurement phase on up. Like there has to be scrutiny at the start of a procurement. Um, I think, you know, especially when the times are good and money's flowing and events are all over the place and they're all mm-hmm. like fancy and everyone's just dined out to, to the tits. <laughs> um, it's really easy to just like close a deal because everyone's having a good time yeah. and you think the good times are going to go forever. Um, nowadays though, you're getting a lot more budgetary scrutiny, not only at like the quarter level, but you know, annual, uh, returns, you are constantly having to deal with budget reevaluation, reassessment. If you're in an organization that, that, you know, revenue has variance from a day to day or week to week basis as well. Um, a lot of those decisions, like there can be strategic impacts based on tactical changes in terms of revenue as it regards, um, uh, your organization's uh, ability to meet its EBITDA yeah. goals, right? So most organizations, especially medium-sized ones, are usually private equity held. So you have to satisfy owners, yeah. right? There's a shareholder group generally. Um, and even if you are doing well from like a high-level like gross margin standpoint, if you're not meeting your goals, it's going to feel like you're starving a bit, mm-hmm. right? Which then creates a lot more delivery pressure with limitations of resources, um, I think the other issue, it's not just tooling, it's headcount. Um, we we keep talking, ever since I've been in the cybersecurity industry, this is like from 2016 on, I'm sure it's been a problem even before, there has always been conversation about there's a lack of security practitioners and way too many open seats. Yeah. The problem is all these open seats are not at the entry level. So we're not actually building a pipeline at a whole of industry level where people can develop and grow into those more senior roles. You look at some of the, the job posters out and I think like people like uh, Naomi Buckwalter yes. there, she, she does a whole weekly series on like outlandishly written uh, job posters for entry level roles. Mm-hmm. Right. People want anything under the sun for like $50,000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, so I, I think again, it, it's, it's, it's hard to give it like a simple, easy answer. It's just the fact that, it's easy to have security bloat if you have a profit-rich environment and everyone's just spend, spend, spend. When there is actual scrutiny, that requires practitioners to do the hard work of strategically planning their evolution, strategically planning how they manage their uh, operation and their program, and then how they politic and win over the individual stakeholders in their company, whether it's the other C-suite members or whether it's the ownership mm. group. You really have to know what you're doing and be willing to face the scrutiny of accountability to deliver on those results. Yeah. And I think it comes back to just cooler heads will prevail. So, you know, when the layoffs were happening at a really depressing clip, you would hear, oh, macroeconomic conditions. Well, hey, bullshit. It's about decisioning, right? You made careless and reckless decisions <laughs> At a time when you thought like it was okay to rename the company Meta and pour $13 billion into a boondoggle. Oh, wait, that is suddenly much more expensive at 6% interest. So, you know, it's like. But George, didn't didn't, didn't you believe the crocodile tears of that CEO? <laughs> no, I have zero sympathy for CEO tears. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on from the 
news of the day. And uh, we are going to come back to this zero interest rate phenomenon. We have got several amazing guests lined up. Um, and so, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Before we go, hold on. On that, before I change, you wrote a really good article on LinkedIn actually talking about what happens or how you should respond oh, yeah. when you are laid yeah, off. Yeah. Just to point people's attention to that, if they look up George Kimmeet on LinkedIn, he's got a really good article. It just came out today. Uh, today would be Friday, uh, September 1st. Look it up. It's really informative. Sorry. Go oh, ahead. yeah, yeah. So at your behest, because you told me you need to write this shit down, those were the exact words. I did that. So I have started a four part <laughs> series through the month of September um, that's called Layoff to Liftoff. And it documents my own layoff journey um, and will be excited to announce different news very soon. But for the podcast, we are really blessed to have a very good problem, which is we have more guests than we have time for. <laughs> So we originally conceived of the podcast as being alternating weekly episodes, this sort of style where we're reflecting on things and a guest that meant that the lift on us was only to book 26 guests for the year. But it turns out we have so many things to talk about and so many cool people to talk about it with that we need to increase our guest cadence. So Going forward, start to look for more episodes, more guests, and uh, we'll try to rejigger the format. But we are currently, if we stick to this method of every other week, we would be booking for February now. And that is just untenable because we got really cool topics to talk about and we want to explore that. So we're getting that uh, situated. Some other updates. We are very close to finishing our listener support page on Ko-Fi. This is going to be a place where we can put swag for sale, uh, where we can get your support if you feel like giving it because it costs uh, personal money to run the podcast and the equipment and the setup. And we'll also have some giveaways and, uh, I guess, patron tiers. You, you, we had said we wanted to use Patreon until we realized they fired their entire InfoSec team. <laughs> so. Yeah, that was not a good. So, look. but I know that you guys have seen us at events. You've seen the hats. You've seen the stickers. You constantly ask us about it. We wish we had more. So this is kind of the way we came up with it because, again, we are really trying to avoid sponsors. We ultimately value our freedom of expression here more than anything else. Uh, so please support us. It is greatly appreciated. And also, we want to come out to your conferences and different things and help support your events. All that support will help enable us to do that better. Yes. And final update. Speaking of conferences, uh, both George and I are going to be at several conferences over the next coming year. So we are thinking about ways to work with conferences to give away passes, registrations, student scholarships, whatever we can to get more people out and about to these very valuable places to exchange ideas and build your professional network. So stay tuned for more on that. Um, but I think that's all the updates I have. Did you have anything else? Uh, yeah, no, I think so. We'll, we'll get everything kind of locked down and confirmed, but I know that uh, there's going to be two shows coming up. Uh, in October, that'll be pretty good. So uh, Predict uh, is going to be in Washington, D.C. George, I think you and I are going to be there for yep. that. Uh, that's going to be in the October 10th to 12th time frame. So if you guys are in the area or around for that conference, uh, hit us up. It'd be great to uh, chat, say hi, have a coffee if there's time. Uh, and as well, Sector is going to be in Toronto, uh, I believe the following week. 
yeah so we'll we will um try to at least have you know some some stickers and some things to give away there as well and obviously if you guys are hearing our call for uh supporting events and then kind of helping one another out uh please let us know i will be there for the duration of the thing um and then there was i think was there something else in the winter or i think I that's know, it for yeah. now eh? i don't know still finalizing Sweet. Too many things on the go, bunch of announcements, but yeah, so we will hopefully see you guys in one of our dates in October. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. We will talk to you again next week. Okay. So do you want to do the zero interest rate stuff or we can just, we're at 22 minutes. I feel like we can just skip. We can, we can, we can touch. It's, it's a good lead into the, uh, to the episode. And also I think, dude, we're on fire this yeah. morning. This is fucking it's good. It's fucking morning and we're not exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> we're like drinking coffee right now. I know, now. so am I. We're totally juiced. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Let's fucking go. This is great. <laughs>